receiving some sort of transmission. You don't hear it? No, I don't hear anything. What does it sound like? It's some sort of music. Music? Route it through the main system. Good idea. Routing now. Welcome back to another episode of Wookie Radio. It's Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. But I'm not the only Mike on the show this week, guys. I have brought into the smuggler's realm with us. Uh, you know him from Return of the Jedi. You might know him as Muppeteer. We we got excited when we saw him in The Force Awakens, and we know he's in The Last Jedi. Neem Numb himself, Mike Quinn. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Hello. Well, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And uh, good to be with you, Ken, Derek, and, of course, Mike. Yeah, good to be here on <laughs> Wookie Radio. How are you doing? Good, good. So ha- I last saw you briefly at Star Wars Celebration, uh, which was right. yeah. the panels were, were great panels, a lot of great stuff came yeah. out of that. Um, I, I really liked the, the Star Wars stage that they did on the exhibit floor. I thought that was a nice touch uh, to yeah. see that. Um, and, and, and your time on the stage was, was brilliant. I absolutely loved <laughs> Uh, especially on that Sunday, um, especially when when my wife and daughter looked up and they go, "There's Mike. We're going to see Aww. him later. We're going to see him later." So Aww. that that was a well <laughs> a, a sight that to see them be excited to see you up on screen to know we're going to see you later was great. Yeah, I like that. I like how, how, you know, things like celebration can kind of connect up the dots a little bit. So, you know, performers aren't just some mysterious thing up on the screen. But, you know, you can you can see that everyone's real living people, especially the kids. And, and it, yeah, I think it's really exciting to be able to do that. So I want to get into Force Awakens real quick. What, okay. was, it, what was it like returning to the name numb character with Force Awakens? Um, <laughs> well, let's see. Um Kind of just like getting back into a really comfortable pair of shoes and a nice suit and a hat, and <laughs> it's like, oh, here's my old friend again. And, you know, that's that's a there's there's sort of two elements to, to returning to something like that with anything that you do uh, that you're coming back to. Um, one part is seeing all your old friends again and uh, being around those people, um, which is a lot of fun. So that's that's sort of the the, the off camera side of it. <clears throat> and then the other side is is um, not knowing what you're going to do next i mean uh you know what a, last time i got to to fly an x-wing i mean who knew i mean that was such a great thrill i just loved the the, the new x-wings so uh, yeah, yeah i mean just just not knowing what is what is coming up next is really exciting um and being a part of that is is you know a greater 
thrill than you could possibly imagine, really. I mean, you know, it never gets old. So I don't know if that tells you what it was like, but it was great. <laughs> so I guess to answer for Neem Numb, yeah. and I'll ask this question to, to Neem Numb himself, which which was more fun to fly, the X-Wing <laughs> or the Falcon? Um, they both were for different reasons. I'm speaking for him, by, by the way, translating for him <laughs> because you won't understand what he says. Um, uh, when With the Falcon... Um, it was a it's it's a much bigger craft, and Nine Num was much younger uh, back then, and he was co-pilot, so you know he was he was working with Lando, um, although he had had piloted other other craft in the past on his own. Um, so I, I think that was a different experience for him then, uh, but. Flying the X-wing, uh, you know, he was he was one of the seven remaining uh, uh, pilots to survive the the Starkiller base. So I think with him being thirty plus years older, um, he he knew there was a lot more at stake. So he took it a lot more seriously. Um, and uh, I'm sure he had learned some some uh, skills in that thirty years uh, <laughs> for flying. I guess he must have done because he survived. So so uh, yeah, I think from his his point of view, it's it's hard. I mean, the the Falcon is always uh, the Falcon, of course. You know, she's she's one craft. There is only one, and we all love her to bits. So, I mean, the, there's probably always a soft spot for for her. I mean, because the Falcon is a character. The X wings aren't so much a character, but the Falcon actually is kind of like the TARDIS in Doctor Who. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I suppose if one had to pick, uh, uh, <clears throat> he would he might pick that. But but they're both great for different reasons. Yeah. Okay. Now, what was it like, and, and kind of talk us through when you got the call saying, hey, can you be a part of Force Awakens? <laughs> yeah, let's see. <clears throat> um it was, yeah, it was it was something I was hoping would happen. I wanted to return to to the character for for many years, and you know, since the um the, the prequels as well, and it never happened. Um, but I always thought, oh, I'd just love to do him again, even if it's just once, just to return. You know, while I still can, you know, while I, while I'm still young enough and able to do this. So when I heard that, uh, you know, the, the new movies were, were coming up. Um, I, I actually got a bit proactive with uh, getting getting myself in front of these people, <laughs> but also I think uh, JJ and Kathleen Kennedy were also uh, uh, they also had it in mind to to, to bring back uh, what uh, they called us the, the legacy characters, essentially characters like um, uh, Nine Num and Admiral Akbar, and bring back the original guys uh, who performed them as well, which was really nice. So so I think I think I probably got that through a two pronged attack from me approaching them and then wanting to, to use us guys anyway so that was nice but <clears throat> when it was funny when I got the call initially it was all quite secretive and they you know they couldn't say exactly what it was right away except that there's a, a puppet job and there's a there's a it's a project in the UK and I didn't even know if it was a TV series or I didn't realize it was even Star Wars so uh, it took me a while to sit to, to, to for the pennies dropped to, to realize oh wait a minute it's it's the next Star Wars movie so, <laughs> so I was kind of agreeing to, to, to something cautiously uh, knowing that I they weren't allowed to tell me what it was right away I thought oh, I was just some new TV show maybe they want some puppets built and maybe a character worked or something like that 
that. So I was like, okay, let's talk, let's talk. And then when we finally did uh, get down to the details, I, I realized, oh, it's it's the next Star Wars film. Okay, yes, I'm in. I couldn't possibly <laughs> possibly let. I mean, just the thought of someone else uh, performing Nine Nine would have would have probably killed me. You know, it's like I'll do this. I've got to I got to figure out how to do this somehow. And and that was the thing. <clears throat> you know, it was it was probably one of the hardest secrets I've ever had to keep for what was it? Um, was it eighteen months or two years or something? Uh, not being allowed to tell anyone that I'm in it. You know, I, I went over for costume <coughs> fittings initially and, and molds, uh, casts of my head and shoulders and stuff. And and I did I did a few uh, I think some conventions while I was over there and visited family, but but I couldn't I couldn't let on while I why I was really there, you know. And then went back a few more times for filming different scenes. So again, I couldn't really say anything. It was like, oh, I'm just back in the UK again, visiting family and whatever. La la la. I couldn't really say. It was such a, a hard thing to keep. And then finally, when they released um, a picture of him at, I think it was a San Diego Comic Con. Um, uh, uh, behind the scenes footage and then there was the trailer the initial trailer where there are a couple of quick shots of him in the X-Wing then uh, then the, the cat was out of the bag at that point so finally I could let everybody know but it's a hard that's a hard secret to keep <laughs> yes, I'm sure <laughs> now it, it- is it just me, or was there some slight changes to the the look of Neem Nam uh, with Force Awakens? Which, no, I it's guess just you. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, there was there was the, yeah, there was actually um, the. I mean, for one thing, this is the first time that we've seen um, me inside the costume moving around, and in fact, by the official Lucasfilm, I think uh, measurements of how tall he is, I'm only about maybe an inch taller than what his or two than what his official height is so so i was i'm actually a lot closer to what his the real character's height is meant to be which is quite good um so so proportion wise uh we sort of see how he's really meant to be um but um uh you know he was re-sculpted he's he's a he's a lot um more he's got more wrinkles now he's a bit more (laughs) serious um at the moment and um he he is older and i think i think jj requested that he be his face not be uh you know too too pale or or simple i think he wanted nine um to look a little more weathered and textured uh for all the close-ups and stuff which which he was so so yeah he's 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 sort of um he's the same guy but but um uh, with, with sort of different different things going on externally and also mentally internally there's different things going on I think with him which is quite interesting just as there is with me you know 33 years on as well uh, so so I'm in a different place to, to, to then and so is he uh, I think that's good yet you know I still want to to get the same beats same same cadences and, and um, kinds of, of uh, movements as as originally so we'll see we'll see what uh, can happen in the future but but uh, I want to make sure that there's enough of a link up between the old num and the new num. <laughs> so did did you then have to go back and um, rewatch your performance in, in Return of the Jedi, or did it just um, come um, come return naturally to you? Yeah, no, I didn't really have to, to go back and look. I mean, I'd seen it enough times and, and um, kind of knew. Uh, I did I did ask that the uh, the face uh, puppeteer uh, take a look at it though, just to um, see my approach for. Um, for, for the the face and how how sort of 
cleaner wanted the beats you know more sort of cartoony and and um just sort of um, delineated not not too sort of mushy and muddy in the face you know so <clears throat> um so I, yeah i sort of requested that those guys look at it but but i didn't really go back myself and, and look at it again because i kind of knew knew what i wanted intuitively you know <laughs> yeah um well <clears throat> let's go back a little bit um to i like to look at the history of the guys we have on here how did you actually because i see you actually started your career with the jim henson company and working on the Muppets. How did you actually get into that? Yeah, yeah, I did. That was my my uh, my start. I mean, um, I, I, I had a, a little glove puppet show when I was a kid, like seven or eight years old. Um, and I had a little booth that uh, with, with uh, scenery that I'd cut out and made and stuck up there with tape and wrote my own script and did a few shows and uh, some talent shows in the parks and things like that. So I was always into puppets uh, as a kid anyway and watching watching uh, simpler puppet shows on television growing up. That was always a, a, certainly a fascination. Um, and my sister was uh, was on the stage acting and singing, and, and she was a musician as well. So she was performing. She's two years older than me, so she was performing ahead of ahead of me anyway. So I was around that kind of uh, showbiz entertainment environment quite a lot. Yet I was a bit too shy as a kid to to uh, to just sort of put myself up front like that. So I found puppets were easier um, to start out with. So. And to express myself with. So so that's kind of how I got into puppets. <clears throat> and how I got into Muppets was um, uh, Muppet Show came along in 1976, and it hit big that first year in the UK, uh, huge. And um, I, I think it actually hit, hit bigger there sooner than it hit in the States. So um, it was it was like the biggest thing ever there. Uh, and um, so I, I sort of became fascinated with, okay, these are a different kind of a puppet. Um, you know, how are, they, how are they made? How are they worked? How these guys performing these things and I was trying to visualize and and obsessing about uh, trying to find every bit of information, every little behind-the-scenes photo, anything I could find out. And I'd start making my own puppets and uh, would practice uh, the manipulation techniques and that kind of thing. And uh, <clears throat> let's see. So I sort of obsessed about it, really, at the age of, like, I don't know, what, 13, 14, and 15. And eventually um, I found out that, that the shows were made about 30 minutes from where I lived. Everyone thought they were made in the States, but they were actually made at L Street, you know, across the street from where Star Wars was, was made. So um, uh, so I, I, I eventually managed to get myself into the studio by bribing my way in on a regular basis. So they got to know me. <laughs> and then... When and I'd bring puppets along that I'd made, and Jim Henson and a few of the other guys would, would put them on and work them and that kind of thing. So they kind of encouraged me. And then when I left school, it, it was the same summer they had just finished taping Muppet Show, um, 1980, and they'd moved across the street to the film studios um, to shoot the Great Muppet Caper and then the Dark Crystal back to back. So they basically tried me out for a week as a sort of a background puppeteer, and I just sort of stayed on for 37 years, I guess, <laughs> on and off. <clears throat> so, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. I've never really auditioned, and but Jim sort of knew kind of what I could do, I suppose, and watched how I what I did in that first week uh, on location on, on the Great Muppet Caper, and and at the same time, uh, Bobby Payne, uh, who was one of the Muppet builders, he was uh, building um, Podlings and Slaves 
slaves for the Dark Crystal. So he remembered that I'd been building puppets uh, and taking them to the workshop. So he sort of hired me when I wasn't filming on The Great Muppet Caper to uh, to, to go and build puppets for the Dark Crystal. There were about uh, 50 podlings and 50 slaves, so about 100 yeah. and all. So helped with the construction, working under him for those. Uh, so was, and then Dark Crystal just kind of segued on from from uh, uh, from the Muppet Caper. Really, they kind of overlapped with the same crew, and and we do we'd be doing film tests uh, at the end of the day for for the Great Muppet Caper for, on the Great Muppet Caper. Sorry for the Dark Crystal to see what would work with uh, textures and colors and lighting and movement as well and that kind of thing. So uh, really, one project just went into the other, and and um, uh, uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of it, it was it was sort of a bit of a whirl, whirlwind start really and <clears throat> quite magical um, but uh, it, it just kind of happened uh, <laughs> it's hard to explain I don't really know how it happened really but somehow I found myself there working Muppets <laughs> <laughs> now with with the early Muppet films what were some of your favorite characters to work oh um, <clears throat> let's see well it was always nice to assist um, uh, uh, the main characters like Jim sometimes would need someone to help with Kermit or Frank would need someone to help with Fuzzy Bear or Miss Piggy because they were so iconic to be able to not only assist those characters in the movie but also learn from those puppeteers as well by watching them that that was a favorite thing otherwise when you get to do things like um uh, just just background muppets and chickens and rats and and that kind of thing you, you can kind of goof around and experiment and and you, you're given free reign or or if it's a chicken free range um <laughs> so <laughs> uh which is sort of nice and and uh yeah so and that, doing the musical numbers anything with with the songs was always fun as well i always enjoyed that so um yeah you know it's, it's, it's always hard to pick favorites though because i remember moments more than than, than, than the actual characters in some ways uh, you know the the, the fun of a, of a shoot uh <clears throat> that kind of thing but uh, some puppets are more challenging than others uh, too the larger ones um but uh, uh yeah it's 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 really hard to pick favorites you know, like children. So, yeah. So when you actually are doing the um, performing the puppets and such, how often are you actually the voice that you hear on screen? Uh, it varies a lot. Uh, essentially, when you have um, like for principal characters, uh, they're always performed live by whoever is performing that principal character. Um, for for a lot of my own shows, obviously, I've done my own voice uh, character voices for that. But also for um, uh, past Muppet projects, I'll have one liners, two liners, um, some. Singing stuff uh, on other series um, that aren't specific Muppet characters, but were still um, part of the, the Muppet family. I had my own characters in those shows as well. So uh, usually, as much as possible, uh, you'll do your own voice and you'll do it live, except for where you're doing songs, where you'll pre-record the song and then mime to it on the on the studio floor to playback, which is always fun. Um, but when there's, um, say, for example, <clears throat> let's say uh, Jim Henson had, you know, he had four or five characters basically. And, for example, if he had, if Ralph and Kermit were in the same scene together, he can't work them both at the same time. So then people like me would come in and double up for those uh, other characters. Uh, so then either he would throw a line in live and I would mime to it, or I would say something and then they would loop it later in, in post-production uh, because, of course, it has to match uh, their voice. But you have to match their manipulation styles, uh, which is interesting, and their timings and things like that. And we were doing exactly the same thing last year on uh, the Muppet series, the ATV Muppet series. Uh, so again, same thing. Uh, uh, Steve Whitmire would do Kermit the Frog and Rizzo the Rat. So often I'd be uh, doing Rizzo for him and 
and he'd he'd jump in and do the close ups or if that wasn't possible uh, either way he would um, loop uh, what I'd done you know in wide shots and other things so that's pretty well how it works with with voices but we always try to get as much live sound as possible oh in your opinion what happened with the <coughs> with the latest Muppet Show um, I think what happened is from what it's it's I mean we lost uh, ratings I mean that's a fact uh, we lost numbers as the show went on I think um, the public were the fans were wanting things to be a little less heavy a little less serious a little more playful more muppety and um, I guess ABC were, were initially pushing something a bit more adult um, and you know more the office kind of stuff but uh, there were some great things you know, some good character developments some yeah. funny lines some good story ideas some some I think some of the trickiest puppeteering we've ever had to do or even on film uh, was done on that series things that <clears throat> that were really hard to do um, that once upon a time would have cost a fortune to do as a post-production effect and that would have been the money shot for the entire film we were doing several of those for almost every episode of the TV show so so technically we achieved an awful lot of great things we hadn't done before but um, we were all trying to I think push it more towards a Muppety uh, traditional uh, kind of fun thing with explosions and silly stuff and, and you know lighter, lighter elements uh, and the show if you watch the progression of 60 episodes you can see that start to happen from from the middle of the season through to the end and by the last episode it was uh you know muppophones and bobby benson's baby band and explosions and and yeah. all kinds of silly stuff so so we kind of were really headed in a good direction to by the end but it was too late you know but it's prime time television and uh these days if you don't get the numbers you're gone that you don't get a second chance uh you, once upon a time you would have done you know uh and i think had we gone to a second season we would have been in pretty good shape but we'd lost our, a lot of our viewers so um that was something that was kind of out of our control as muppet people anyway so yeah, it was unfortunate but yeah but i can also understand why that happened as well you know mm. in retrospect primetime tv is a hard place muppets i think would do better out outside of that uh it's a different you know well, I was just comparing uh, the Muppets with what other shows were on at the same time. <clears throat> you had to really pay attention to the Muppet program. You had to listen to the dialogue. It was fast. It was snappy. You really had to pay attention yeah. to the storylines and the gags. And, you know, if you missed one or two sentences, you might have missed some of the plot. Whereas with some of the other shows, you can kind of tune in and out a bit more. And if you're not paying you know, the other sitcoms and comedies I'm, I'm comparing to, really, uh, they, they, they're not quite as, as uh, tight as fast paced or as as, far, as as packed and I don't think you have to pay attention I think they're easier to watch so I, that to me is what I at least uh, saw saw the difference between what other shows survived uh, compared to what, what uh, got cancelled so a few yeah. things few reasons really yeah yeah I was kind of hoping ABC was move it to like Sunday uh, as a, a lead <coughs> yeah. to Once Upon a Time Cause, yeah, cause yeah it would have been perfect wouldn't it because that, that seems like that you know Muppets is a, is a weekend show or Friday night yeah. show, not a it is. Not a middle of the yeah. week. Yeah, Tuesday night was a hard slot anyway, and we didn't have a lot of pre-production time either. You know, we, we got, got the green light kind of at the last minute, so there was very little uh, pre-production time compared to to other shows and what we should have had. Also, Muppets, you know, it wasn't a cheap show to make either. Perhaps had it been half the price, we might have been able to to move to another show. Um, but yeah, it was. It, we had a big crew, expensive sets, um, special effects, music, guests, and all kinds of lots of lots of puppeteer 
beers and just yeah it was it was not a cheap show so but that's i think that's a good point you know it may have just had a slight disadvantage from the very beginning by being in that slot and and uh, expectations um you know the audience was uh, some of the audience were in shock uh, at the beginning because it wasn't I mean, this isn't the muppet show this is something totally different what's going on here <laughs> so so we had a few things going against us um but yeah it is what it is i mean i think we're still proud of what we achieved you know in spite of that though uh, everyone worked so hard and there were some wonderful uh, things in in those in each episode for sure yeah. and it did keep getting better so it, we had a lot of fun there was a lot of love on the set with the crew and cast and everything it was it was a, a great a really great experience for each of us I, I can say that without a shadow of a doubt so all the more sad when we got cancelled you know I, I yeah. love the concept of going from the original being a variety show to now we're we're dealing with a, a late night talk show <coughs> yeah I, and yeah I, I kind of wish that it would, that was more the focus instead of the some of the other stuff yeah maybe more continuity in the show itself perhaps maybe because Muppet Show took place sort of within that 30 minute show you know everything was happening it starts at the beginning of the show Scooter saying 20 seconds to curtain and then the end of the show is the end titles of you know the curtains right. close come it says goodbye to everyone so you're sort of seeing the show in real time and that might have been another another way to handle the, the talk show uh, approach it as though you're, it's the show in real time um, <clears throat> but on the other hand we might not have had some of it would have been harder to, to, to go out side of the location into the real world and there were some fun things like um the ralph's bar yeah. uh, it was ralph's tavern no, yeah. uh, there were some good moments in there and um uh and kermit driving the car at the end there with uh, jack white and <laughs> yeah so so yeah <clears throat> yeah tricky but but perhaps a different emphasis as you say Fozzie with the girlfriend's parents. Those yeah, <laughs> I wanted to see more yeah. of more of his girlfriend, but but that that sort of petered out by the end there. But uh, yeah. again, lovely actress, you know, lovely lovely people. The, the, the parents were, were great as well, and some some funny ideas in there, some funny stuff. Uh, so you, you probably just some of it just got a little bit heavy, I think. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, a little bit too adult for Muppets. <clears throat> yeah, perhaps so. But even though they are totally capable of that, and um, that's sort of a slightly different audience again um but but there are certain expectations with muppets jim always wanted to, to 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 do stuff for an older audience and he always wanted muppets to be older as well and but not not to the exclusion i think of of a younger audience too so for the for the muppets so he was always looking for for puppetry not just being for kids but um muppets the, the classic muppets yeah their their sort of handle is really family you know um not adult but family so uh, i think as long as they remember that then they'll be fine well um it, we covered a lot of your stuff before um when you first got into henson but really your introduction to star wars started all the way back with return of the jedi if you look at the credits on that you're all over that movie <laughs> yes i it, that's the thing though being a puppeteer you you get to, be, to have a thousand different faces i suppose so uh, <laughs> um but again that was kind of an organic thing uh you know we finished the dark crystal we knew that return of the jedi was going to be the next picture in the that same studio, Earl Street Studios, and the following year, you know, and um, Jim Henson, of course, was uh, uh, friends with George Lucas at that time, and of course, Yoda had already existed in Empire, and as we know, he returned for Jedi. So, so uh, basically, Robert Watts, the producer, um, he just basically interviewed me and I assume a few other people uh, just to make sure that uh, he wanted to hire us because we were already sort of uh, ripe for creature performing from from dark crystal we were all trained up and there were 
there weren't many people in the world that could even do that at that time. Dark Crystal was really the first creature puppet film ever, really, essentially. So so they kind of got lucky, and so did I, I suppose. Um, again, I didn't have to audition. I just sort of walked into the movie at the beginning, assisting Tim Rose with uh, Admiral Akbar doing doing eye blinks on the hand puppet close-up. Tim would, would perform the principal part of the, the hand puppet. And then in the wide shot, Tim was inside the full-length suit, and his mouth was worked on a cable control that I was working. So so we did uh, we rehearsed Admiral Akbar at the beginning um, as we were leading into Jabba's Palace. And then Sice Noodles as well. And then she, there were two versions of her too. Tim Rose uh, did the lower part of her when you see her full length and I worked the upper part on strings. And then in close-up, he was sort of inside her body, working the body in the base of her snout. And I was working her lips singing on a cable control for the close-up. So, uh, and also in, uh, yeah, <laughs> Jabba's Palace, I did the hand puppet reuse for the close-up, um, which had uh, moving mouth and, and eye blinks and that kind of thing. The suit version, which was Paul Springer, which you see in the wide shot <clears throat> didn't have any actual face facial articulation because the masks back then you know they didn't have radio control or anything like that so so uh you know you, all the all the wide shot stuff was just masks that didn't have any any movement and anything that did was was a, usually a hand puppet close-up so that's kind of and that's how nine numb came about too of course in in a, in a roundabout sort of way uh yeah then there was a slug on the ceiling above jabber's head uh let's see uh, there was a baby ewok or two and um what else? Uh, and then assisting uh, Frank with Yoda. So yeah. yeah. So what all did you do to help with Yoda? Um, I was his right hand. I took over from uh, Kathy Mullen. She was Yoda's right hand in Empire Strikes Back, and but she was back in the states at that point. So and, and me being um, small, uh, which helps in that little tiny uh, set, that little tiny uh, 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 hut set. Um, uh, and Frank knew that I could. He, he was used to me working his right hand for Fozzy Bear and that kind of thing. So he just chose me right away. I want Mike to do to do Yoda's right hand. So and I could get out of keep out of the way, you know. Uh, and you knew my work. So again, that just kind of happened. Really, <laughs> uh, it's weird, but it's great. You know, I, I pretty well stayed on that film almost start to finish, going from character to character. It was yeah. great. It's interesting because yeah. it, you got the credit is Yoda's right hand and Jabba's electronic. Eye. Oh yeah, when he was being strangled, yeah, his eyes were bulging, and yeah, in the in the sail barge as well, yeah. And we also did some reuse um, hand puppet scene stuff in Jabba's palace, but that was cut as well. And then uh, Ten Numb, which was Nine Numb with different outfit on in a B wing, uh, uh, and that was just sort of um, uh, B roll, uh, ironically, <laughs> for uh, for the space battle that they never used, and that wasn't really scripted, so we just sort of made stuff up uh, in case they wanted to just intercut one line, you know, in the in the space battle but uh, that was none of that was actually used in the final film so so technically yeah i've flown the b-wing uh an x-wing and a, and a falcon <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> so yeah crazy crazy so how did how did it feel then when when uh, they came out george lucas came out with the special editions and he, he changed uh size noodles to <clears throat> yeah. more computer animation and yeah, I mean, I, I knew that that stuff was coming because George had been pushing pushing the digital stuff and the CG things, and uh, it wasn't a shock or a surprise. And it makes sense to explore that side of things because you have to see what works and what doesn't, how far can you go, and that kind of thing. Um, right. I, yeah, I I felt that uh, what was re- it was replaced with was was a little more cartoony and rubbery and, and less grounded in reality. Um, but, yeah, but it was, I guess, the early days of earlier days of that kind of thing. But uh, I, 
Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice to expand on the on the environments and on the scene and characters and make more of a, an event of that. Uh, but I, I felt it was a little cheesy, and certainly most fans that come up to me at shows say they prefer the original rubber puppets, no matter how, you know, they're very yeah. limited. Uh, they can't do anything near what the CG can do. But maybe that's part of the, the beauty of it, too. You know, there, yeah. there, there are limitations. But I was terrified because I didn't <clears> know if, if uh, Nine-Num would be replaced as well. <laughs> so I was kind of scared. It's like, oh, no, please don't remove me from the entire history of film <laughs> in one fell swoop. Please. <laughs> so I was pleased to see he was he was still there at least. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, we talked a lot about your puppeteering, but um, you've also got a lot of work with as an animator. How'd you get into doing that? Yeah, yeah. It's an extension of bringing something to life, though. You know, an, a CG model is still an, an, an inanimate object. So uh, it's just uh, with CG, you have a lot more control over the details and and, uh, the facial expressions. So, um, you know, you're lucky if you get five seconds a week on some of this stuff instead of um, uh, five minutes a day, you know. So in film anyway, on TV, you get a lot more quite often than five minutes a day. Uh, so, so puppetry is more spontaneous. Animation is 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 all thought out and plotted, and and um, often we'll act something out in in real time on video, and then sort of use that as a reference for animation. Uh, but I was looking at those things back in the '90s, back in the UK, before I came over to the States uh, with uh, some early Mac stuff. I was using. Um, uh, After Effects and Photoshop and Elastic Reality to do morphing to uh, to do things like um, remove rods and puppeteers from full length puppets to make a, a puppet wink that otherwise couldn't wink before um, uh, place them in different backgrounds. So I was really experimenting with that way way back, really just using the computer as a tool to do more than what we could do before. So then when when uh, Toy Story came out, um, that kind of changed everything because it was sort of like. Uh, it was sort of like the new Muppets in a way. Uh, you know, it was the new the new uh, way to bring characters to life and tell stories that were still that were, that were still abstract. You know, they, they were cartoony. They weren't they weren't necessarily um, Jurassic Park dinosaurs that were trying to be real. These were their own reality, just like Muppets were. So I saw a lot of parallels with between uh, Muppets and, and Pixar, basically. So uh, and I'd been experimenting with with animation and computers already. And I thought, I, I really want to, to see what this is all about. So I, I went about getting myself recruited by Pixar in London uh, and was, was uh, brought on for uh, for Toy Story 2. Uh, at that time, there weren't any schools for uh, character animation, CG animation. So this is 96, 97. Um, now there are places. but So Pixar knew they wanted to do a Toy Story 2 and A Bug's Life coming up, and they were going to have to greatly expand their company and their, and their, and their staff. So they they thought, well, we can teach actors how to work a computer, um, but uh, um, we, we can't teach people how to act as easily. So I, I, knew, I think they knew that I could perform and bring characters to life. So they thought, well, we'll just put him through our little Pixar University animation school and teach. I think there were 12 of us all together that started that something like that January of 97 uh, at Pixar University, where it was sort of their little animation school uh, for a few months, essentially, where we'd we'd learn principles of animation, but also with tests and things like that, but also their, their animation system that they their, their proprietary system as well. So uh, they put us through that. And if we passed, then we were on board, which I did. 
And that was it. So then I came over permanently in 97 in the spring of uh, just over 20 years ago, actually, um, to work on Toy Story 2 and, and A Bug's Life. And that's kind of how it how it came about. Uh, just another way to, to perform characters, really. Well, it says also you worked as an animator on Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Now, what, what were some of the shots that you were working on for that? Yeah, um, that was right after, uh, yeah, I was at Pixar two or three years, and we finished The Bug's Life and, and uh, Toy Story 2. And I wanted to actually, um, the, the main reason I wanted to go to ILM was to have have a greater input into the CG Yoda because I knew they were going to do him as, as, as CG for episode two. So, um, and I know the mechanic. I've, uh, I know how Frank Oz, the, the kinetics of how he holds his hand in the head and his arm. I know why Yoda moved the way he did and how he moved. So I thought, well, I can maybe help have some continuity between Empire and Jedi Yoda and episode two Yoda uh, so he doesn't radically change in his movement style. So I wanted to have some some input into that. So that yeah, so I went over to ILM and went through their little they had a little uh, animation school class thing there as well. I got pulled out halfway through. I hadn't finished that um, because uh, they were short on someone for Jurassic Park three. So uh, I ended up being on Jurassic Park three for six months doing dinosaurs. Uh, when that finished, then I came back over to episode two, uh, and they were all well underway uh, with all their uh, shots and characters and animations. So I got very little to do with Yoda by the end of it and had very little input into that. So I did a little bit of Yoda stuff, um, some Geonosians, uh, Count Dooku's head when he's doing the lightsaber thing near the end there, uh, um, because there was the stunt guy and they decided he didn't quite look uh, enough like Christopher Lee, I guess. So so they put a a CG uh, head on uh, on him and tracked that and then I animated uh, the head turns and mouth expressions and I think eyes and eyebrows and that kind of thing. So there were a handful of shots uh, there that I animated. So I got to do Count Dooku, which was kind of cool. And uh, what else did I do? Some other creatures. I, I, yeah, lots of Geonosians, I remember. <laughs> so about six months on that film, I think. And then after after 12 months, uh, I could stay on and uh, at ILM and work on things like Ang Lee's Hulk or move on. And I thought, okay, I need to get back to, to performing again. And I've, I've spent three or four years animating. I miss performing, so I decided to... to to move on essentially yeah now i i know usually we, we try and get some of the current stuff near the beginning of the show as well tell us about quinn studios uh, Quinzone Studios? Quinzone. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, Quinzone. Quinzone. The Quinzone Studios. Uh, Quinzone Studios is my company where I can do all my foolish nonsense and create crazy things, characters, shows, ideas, technology, uh, whatever, music, whatever I want to do. That's that's sort of my umbrella for, for all my own creative endeavors, essentially. Um, and the Quinzone is actually kind of like a – it came about, about originally um, from being on set. I, I talked earlier about uh, working chickens and being given – free range um that was sort of the quin zone where you're sort of off to the side or in the background and and you can goof off and experiment and upstage and do whatever you want you know and get away with all kinds of crazy things so that that became known as the quin zone <laughs> uh, during probably i think it was coined around labyrinth time when i was at the the side of the frame 
uh, you know, like uh, the the left or right part that would use they used to get cropped off when they when they did pan and scan for television. Uh, so I remember doing some goblins at the side that that uh, figured no one I could do anything I want with these goblins. No one's going to really be paying attention. They're going to look at the center of the screen when it's shown on TV. It's going to be cut off anyway. We'll never see this ever again. And little did I know, you know, it have have uh, sixteen by nine TVs and widescreen again and uh, Blu-ray DVD and all this kind of thing. But anyway, so that, that's really how, how the Quin Zone came about. Uh, that's what the Quin Zone is. So it's, it's sort of a creative space to 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 be allowed to to to, to be free and and, uh, and create essentially. Um, so yeah, I have different projects that I put through there, be it puppet building or freelance work or uh, some of my own things. Um, of which uh, there are many varied things. So, so that's Quinzone Studios. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Now I gotta ask. You did uh, some some work with Uncle Traveling Mac from Fraggle Rock. Uncle Traveling Matt. Yes. Uncle Ooh. Matt. What yes. what was one of the more dangerous outside adventures you did? Yeah, because I I want to say there was one episode that involved some archery. Yeah, well, that's true. That was that. Yes, uh, there was an, the, the we were shooting some Uncle Matts in France um, on location, and uh, the French weren't very good at communicating with me what they wanted to do. I guess they felt it wasn't necessary. So. Um, and uh, we had a dummy mat as well that we could put out in front of the target. But uh, there was also a target with a hole cut in it with my, so I could put my arm through and work Uncle Matt against the target. Um, but what they decided to do without telling me was to fire arrows at the target while my hand was still inside the puppet. <laughs> and they they weren't going to tell me about it. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's another one. We we're out at sea and we all, uh, myself and, and uh, my puppeteer assistant, Jeff Felix, uh, got uh, pretty pretty seasick. That was pretty bad. Um, what else? There's another one. We we're on the edge of a cliff. Uh, what else did we do? There was a. We were on, on a beach, and there was a windstorm whipped up. So it was like being sandblasted. We couldn't breathe or see anything. That was pretty horrible. Uh, but other than that, they were pretty safe. <laughs> Good old Uncle Matt. <laughs> and then for me, I think one of my favorite Muppets that you ever portrayed or worked was Riff uh-huh. from Ghost of Fafner Hall. Riff, who in the world is that? Riff, Riff Stavely, in fact. I gave him a second name, uh, whether they wanted one or not. So, well, I thought, well, Stavely is a musical name, Stave, as in musical staves. So I thought he had to be Riff Stavely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, nobody knows that show hardly. Uh, we, I think we made 13 episodes, about 1989. Yeah. Uh, most of them were shot in the northeast of England in the UK, uh, Newcastle upon Tyne. And uh, then some parts were shot down in the south at uh, a place called Bushy and Studios there with some of the musical guests. And then a few more spots were, were uh, taped in New York City. Um, but uh, how do you know that show? Did you see? Did you see it on I, HBO? I I think I watched it on HBO in '89. Yeah, and then okay. I think someone had a copy of it on VHS in college. Nice, because I, I remember watching it in college, and um, that's one I I wish I could find now on disc. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, such I think a Henson show. still own that. Yeah, well, it it um. It was kind of a little different to everything else because it was working to a, 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 an educational curriculum essentially. Yeah. So we had a, a music curriculum that was that was all uh, sanctioned by by uh, great wonderful music people. So um, uh, yeah, so we kind of had a theme with each one, uh, but it was interesting. I mean, uh, trying to communicate advanced music theories uh, on a, on a simple level. Uh, we, I would have liked to have done more. Uh, I remember 
um, let's see. Working, you know, working with some of those music guys was just fantastic. They're like um, the Gil Evans Orchestra, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, yeah. and my goodness. And in fact, we did, uh, there were some bits where I had to, I think I had to stand in for, it was either Fugetta or, or The Wild Imp, because either, I forget which episode it was. Um, I think it was Fugetta. Louise Gold couldn't make one of the, the uh, location shoots. And it was, um, I think the... Gamelan uh, musicians. We we filmed that at, at York. Uh, was it York University? I think. But the music professor there was the same guy that taught Trevor Jones uh, when he was there, who did the music for the Dark Crystal. Uh, so that was kind of neat. It's funny how that stuff comes around. Oh yeah. Um, but it was it was a great series. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I definitely wanted to do more with Riff. I wanted to round him out more and 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 kind of give him give him more stuff to do. But it wasn't really within the, the structure of the show so so he just got to do his one-man band and and uh, and enjoy all his all his wonderful wonderful things and and one of his most exciting moments was having george martin and dizzy and and paddy maloney and uh here's the guy from dire straits yeah him mark mark knopfler uh, mark knopfler and they wrote a song for me all while i was in my pajamas <laughs> so that was lovely i mean george so george martin that was before i think he was knighted but what a what a dear man you know what a great great thing to 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 do uh have moments like that in your life definitely a, a gift and and of course uh and I, I asked i requested specifically can i work with thomas dolby so uh jocelyn stevenson the producer uh got hold of him and we did a whole lovely little bit with the with the fly in the matchbox uh enjoyed uh, that uh, <laughs> now we know you've been called back to do work on other hints and projects in, in the past like the the relaunch of the muppet movies uh, in the yeah muppet series anything coming up from henson that you might be getting a call for uh from well let's see um from disney Muppets, uh, which is different to Henson. You know, Henson, uh, they're, they're separate companies. Um, but Muppets is owned by Disney. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to do the uh, Hollywood Bowl in September. We have three live shows, um, which is terribly scary. Uh, I think I think it came about from doing um, the Electric Mayhem at Outside Lands last yes. uh, October in San uh, Francisco. And that we had was a 25-minute awesome. show. It was crazy good. We we were terrified. We had no idea how it would go and the if people would like it. The crowd was amazing. Yeah. I remember yeah, we watching it live it. when it happened. I, I oh my goodness! Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, it was it was such a crazy thing for us. I think we were all in in tears at the end of it ourselves. Just it was just such an amazing thing. Uh, of course, people wanted more, and we couldn't do any more because a we hadn't prepared anything, and b we're only allowed <laughs> twenty five minutes because we have to get off. A, I think Third Eye Blind were coming on next, so we sort of had to move on. But I think we, everyone thought, oh my goodness, we can do this, you know. And I think that's what led to the Hollywood Bowl uh, shows, uh, which will be a lot more expanded with humans and and uh, main muppet characters as well as the, the electric mayhem so that's so we're actually doing some pre-tapes uh later this month and then we have i think it's something like a week of rehearsal uh beginning of september going right into the three live shows so it's going to be quite physically difficult taxing uh because it's a you know a live show you don't get do over and uh hopefully we can all keep enough blood in our arms uh, to, to last out the show but it's going to be a blast i can't wait 
I really can't wait. <laughs> now, what about the, the rumored Dark Crystal project? Which is really the question you were asking, of course, yes. and I just gave you totally the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, just to mess with you. The, the Hollywood Bowl stuff's awesome, though. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I hope they I stream some of that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I'm sure or some people might do... Uh, I, I, I'm sure it'll be recorded in some way anyway, uh, and perhaps people will record their own videos and things like that. Um, so, yeah, there, there is... You know, they've now announced... Uh, what is it? Just recently, that there's going to be ten episodes of the Dark Crystal uh, taking place. I guess ahead of time, ahead of the when the film takes place, um, and uh, that's that's they've announced that's going to be uh, shot in the UK, and that's very exciting. I'm not I'm not officially on board yet. It's still very early days. You know, they're still in in uh, way in early pre-production, but they've they I guess they got the green light to uh, to I assume they're they're working on scripts and that kind of thing i know they have a director already so uh, and they're working on the build right now so it's it's very early days but uh, it's great it's great news i think it's a very good time for this and yeah. netflix is a great place for it uh, yeah. a great home uh, i think i think we're in good hands i i think no matter what whether i can be on it or not it's going to turn out to be really good but i would hope i can be i hope i can do something on there um, yeah hopefully so. no no pun intended do you think with netflix we'll get to see it get a little darker yeah yeah i mean times have changed uh people are used to to and the pacing will be different i, I yeah i mean i'm sure it'll still be family of course but but visually they might they might they could make it a bit more edgy if they want to uh the audience is ready for that now um, so it's possible. It's possible. I, I, yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. See how far can they take it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, 30, 35 years on, essentially. <clears throat> Wow. Who knew, right? It's crazy. All the stuff coming back, Muppets, Dark Crystal, and Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, you live long enough, everything comes around again, uh, apparently. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been hearing rumblings about a Labyrinth <coughs> remake as well. Yeah, yeah they've talked about that, that for a while. while. And yep. now that, the, you know, with the, the Dark Crystal stuff, that mm -hmm. may actually help that to happen in some form, which would be terrific. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there were two very different films. It's amazing they were only made uh, four years apart, but, but so different in, in feel and flavor definitely and pacing and everything so yeah that would be great that would be lovely i i think it would do well if they could could make that happen yeah yeah i would love to see that and fraggle rock that's another thing that's been yeah. rumored to yeah. to return oh. at some point yeah that's right and yeah. it could it really could so yeah maybe i guess everything just has to find its time you know and dark crystal has found it's not only its time but its medium i think going on for a tv series is is a is a is probably the best option better than trying to make a movie you know there's so much hangs on a film uh that's at stake uh it's and, and it's just one film you know but a tv series you can get into so much more detail and tech and I think there's less risk overall financially, uh, and, and we get to see more of it. So I, I like the uh, <clears throat> I like going down the the the, uh, the idea of a, a Netflix series and that kind of thing. I think it's it's ideal. I, I think Fraggle Rock when that comes back, I, I'm not going to say if I'm going to say when because it, it's going to happen. Uh, Good. My daughter will be ecstatic because she oh, wow. she loves. Uh, we we have the DVDs for I think mm -hmm. season three. Nice. And she just can't get enough of it. 
Yeah, yeah, they, they don't really date uh, either that much, no. uh, which is good. You know, they're essentially, um, and then each story, they deliberately had tried to have a, a thoughtful theme uh, in there, you know, and, and everything served that theme, which was nice. Uh, you know, they had great songwriters and lyricists and, and uh, script writers, great directors, wonderful performances, everything about that. It was a special time, a special show, uh, and uh, I... I don't know if they feel that it would be too expensive to produce something like that now or, or you know, I'm not sure, but I do hope that it, it can return in some form or other. Uh, again, maybe a series rather than a, a film, I don't know, but but it's a nice thought. It really is. Yeah. It's such a good show. People have su- such good memories of that. And, uh, yeah, I worked on it for quite a few years on all the co-productions, uh, which would be the UK, French and German uh, co-productions where we'd redo Sprocket in those countries with a different act. Uh, so some shows we'd do three times essentially and uh, Gobo would have to come out and get the postcard uh, from the, from Uncle Matt uh, through the Fraggle Hole so we'd have to match uh, the costume and the, and the continuity uh, from the original Canadian uh, bits inside Fraggle Rock to our world so we had to had to be very careful about you know how, how fast was he running through or, or that kind of thing and everything had to match essentially uh, yeah and then of course Uncle Matt's as well so that was great yeah well while we're talking about Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Fraggle Rock and stuff. Do you um you were working on Labyrinth? Uh, do you have any really good stories of working with David Bowie at all? <laughs> David Bowie, he was great. Yeah, he was. <clears throat> he, he's he's just a, essentially um you know out of out of costume uh, a regular guy in a way. You know he'd be smoking his cigarettes and all right lads, how you doing? You all right? Yeah, you know nice bit cold in it this morning and that kind of thing. He's just like a regular North London or Londoner guy and and uh, very approachable. Um, and uh, very hardworking. He, I think the, the wig that he was wearing in the movie, or wigs, I think he, he would refer to that as his Tina Turner wig. Because <laughs> I guess, it, you know, hey, it was the 80s, eight, 1980, 85 is when we filmed it, the summer of 85. So, uh, but uh, yeah, there, there was one time where um, there was they were filming the, uh, the, the the first scene where where uh, Jennifer meets where Sarah meets uh, 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 David Bowie there in the, in the bedroom. She wants him, the Goblin King, to come away and steal the baby. And so that was sort of their first big dramatic scene together, and and uh, all very serious. And we were doing goblins hiding in drawers and under the bed and behind doorways and things, ready to pop out. You know, for part of that scene there. Um, and uh, I had uh, the sound guy on set to play, with, unbeknownst to Jim Henson or David Bowie or anyone else, to play back um, one of David Bowie's 1960s novelty songs, uh, The Laughing Gnome, uh, which had a little sped up uh, uh, voice of ha ha ha, he he he, I'm a laughing gnome and you can't catch me. So it was kind of a novelty record, essentially. Uh, one of his very, very much earlier uh, tracks. So yeah, we had I thought, oh dear, we're going to be in such trouble <laughs> for playing this and wasting <laughs> time and money on set and, and uh, you know it's really not appropriate but anyway the sound guy played it back and all the goblins jumped out and started singing that stuff and and luckily, uh, David, of course, uh, had a good chuckle over it, and so did Jim. I think I think Jim was a bit puzzled, like, why are they playing that back over the studio floor? And then he, he laughed. He realized it was a gag. Uh, you know, Jim's Jim was always very good-hearted and, and always always up for a, a good laugh and anything that, that lightened the crew a little bit. You know, he wanted everyone to have a good time. But uh, I thought I could have been in trouble for doing that, for, you know, wasting money, essentially, and killing the moment, uh, the, the serious moment. But, uh, yeah, things like that with 
with with Bowie. Bowie was great. He was he was really very patient and very awesome. Now, Neem Nums kind of had a, a cult following following since Return of the Jedi, and we've seen a lot of product yeah. from action figures to vinylmation to pins. Yeah. Um, is there been yeah. is there been something that you wanted to see done with Neem Nome that hasn't? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we want to see a larger. This is what all the fans are asking for too. Is a is a larger, more articulated action figure of some kind, or a more detailed one, that kind of thing. We had the the gentle giant bust uh, several years back, and those were lovely. But uh, to get a, a actual full length, larger figure would be really nice. So uh, we're we're sort of we keep annoying the the. The companies for that. <laughs> We're pushing for that. <laughs> You're talking uh, more like the Hasbro Black Series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stuff like that, and of course, um, um, uh, they are. You know, they've, they've been re-releasing these sort of scaled-up versions of the original figures as well. Oh right. Uh, yeah. So I'd like <clears throat> to see one of those as uh, nine as one of those plus plus the Black Series, as you were saying, uh, that are a little bit uh, larger. So I, I would love to see yeah. Koda Bayuka do an artifact oh, yeah. figure as well. Right. I'd that would be yeah, that would be. I love their artifact yeah. series. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot that can be done. I think I think they would uh, they would do well, um, provided they were put in front of fans and and where you could actually buy them. It was it was hard for the for the the, the Force Awakens action figure. I mean, I couldn't even find it in the stores myself, and I looked everywhere here in Southern California. So he was really hard to find in some places, and that just seemed a bit silly to me. I think that was a misstep on on their part. On on who was it? Hasbro is it? Did Hasbro. that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not. Yeah. It's. I, I shouldn't have to go on on uh, Amazon and and buy them there. Really, I should be able to walk into Target or Walmart or, or Toys R Us and find them. Really, but I couldn't. It was uh, you know yet other characters. There were hundreds of them. That they couldn't sell. It was really strange. Um, I, but nevertheless, a, a lovely thing because it's it's actually a, a scaled down version of me. That you know they took a 3D scan of me in the in costume, uh, and, and and so that's actually a 3D representation. Uh, so it's, it is a mini me, which is quite quite cool to actually finally see one of those. <laughs> I would love yeah. to. I would love to see either a one shot or a five issue mini series from Marvel about Neem Nom. Yeah, they could That'd do that. Cool. He has this whole backstory of smuggling and 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 flying and and uh, blowing up his ships and <laughs> all that kind of thing. So, uh, and some early, yeah, early stuff with uh, how he, how he got to know Lando and all kinds of things like that. I think, I think it could be done. Definitely. I'd love that. It is oh, nice yeah. that, that they've expanded him a little bit in the comics and books and, and also the games. Uh, yeah. Even uh, John Boyega mm. said that he enjoyed playing, uh, uh, playing Nine Num in, uh, in Battlefront. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's this weird, you know, when, when these actors come up to you and say, oh, I had I had that toy when I was a kid. I had your action figure. It's kind of crazy, you know. Actually, yeah. sp- speaking of the action figure, uh, I still have my original Neon Noon action figure from when I, I was a kid. bet you don't have the blaster with it. I bet, I bet the, the pistol's gone. Yeah, that's gone. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Those things always get lost. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool that you still have it, though. That's one of only, one of the very few toys I still have from, from when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, he was, there was something about him that was just sort of different to everyone else. Uh, and, and George chose him. Originally, he was a background character, but George sort of pulled him forward halfway 
through the film uh, because he wanted someone in the Falcon. So, and I guess he just liked the look of that. So he got he got plucked out of the chorus line essentially <laughs> because I guess he just looked cool. Uh, but yeah, it, it is really nice that he's still around. I'd like for him to. I'd like to see him do a bit more. I'd like to see him have some dialogue, and I'd love for him and Chewie to have a little scene together. There he is. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, and have yeah. I'd love for Nine and Chewie to be able to understand each other and for the rest of the audience to have no clue what's going on and have them tell a little joke to each other. That would be nice. Yeah. But in my fantasy world, I guess that happens. <laughs> we'll have to start a petition. Indeed. See if Lucasfilm can squeeze that in. If, if for nothing else, for an outtake on the DVD. <laughs> uh, it's all good, though. It's all good. I'm, I'm excited to, to see uh, uh, The Last Jedi. Uh, Ryan Johnson was, was terrific, amazing. Uh, really nice guy, very approachable, and everyone loved him on the cast and crew. So uh, I think we're I think we're in for a good ride. I really do. Well, w- w- from Ryan or even from JJ, did y'all get any of their nod to to Lucas with faster, more intense? Um, you mean uh, uh, that they they deliberately would would try and do that? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, I know, no, I, I know I, George, George was was um, famous for saying that a lot on set. That was great, <laughs> right. but faster, more intense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I no, I mean, whether any of that was passed on to anybody else, uh, you know, I was pretty well uh, left to to do what I wanted, and I figured, well, if they're not if they're not saying too much to me, then I guess I'm not sucking too badly. I must be doing something right. Uh, it's when they tell you to do stuff is when you're going off course. So, so uh, I tried to keep everything clean and subtle and realistic and uh, do what I was told. So <laughs> I didn't have to get directed terribly much, which was good. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I, I think I think they're given quite a bit of autonomy, though. I, I think JJ was pretty well left to do what he felt was right, and I think uh, Ryan too. You know, they they choose the directors, and they have a lot of faith in them, and they let them get on with it. You know, so that, that was what I saw anyway. Um, which is good. It's, it's good. So then it's not micromanaged, you know, because you lose the soul of something when everyone's got their hands in the in the in the pot. There, basically, all trying to influence uh, how the, how a film is made. I think it's much better to to leave a director alone, and if you don't like what they're doing, then don't hire them. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I remember when we were shooting Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and uh, uh, Zemeckis uh, was of course directing. We were we we had to go into a twenty four hour shooting, a day crew and a night crew, because I guess there was so much to do. It was such a crazy schedule. And then uh, Spielberg, as producer, came over to to keep an eye on things, and I'm, I'm sure that must have been an, an irritation <laughs> <laughs> to to poor Bob Zemeckis. But uh, uh, yeah, it's these guys know what they're doing. And if you've got a good script and a good cast and a good crew, good DP, uh, all that stuff, you know, everyone comes to, together as long as everyone's professional. And that, I feel that certainly happened absolutely 100% on The Force Awakens. Awesome. Where can, yeah. people, where can people find you on the Internet? Um, let's see. They can find me here on this interview here. Um, <laughs> they can find me on uh, probably the, the, the place I'm most kicking around on right now is just on my Mike Quinn Facebook uh, page. 
stage, uh, which I think is is technically called Quinn's Own Studios, but it's Mike Mike Quinn. Uh, and from there, I'll I'll often link to if I have my Secrets of Puppetry course, uh, which will be coming up this summer, or if I'm selling autographs or up to some other crazy scheme, then uh, usually I'll announce things on on that on 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 that social media uh, before anything else. Uh, I think it links to Twitter, but I don't really do much with Twitter and the other social medias right now. So that's probably a good place to start. They can find me there. And I try to interact with people uh, as needed as much as possible. Try to be accessible within reason, I guess. So, yeah, it's quite good. Everyone's been very nice, very kind. And it's, it's a good way for me to get feedback, too, on, on what I'm doing or projects that I've worked on. So, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's really good, definitely. So, yeah, Mike Quinn, Facebook. I, I ask, please, more with the, the pictures from the past. I have reveled in them. So, oh, good, yeah. I do I have know, more. Yeah, Some of them I are in storage right now. So yeah, when I get when I get um, all my boxes out of storage, then uh, which are actually in another state right now, but uh, when I get them them out, suddenly there'll be a whole flow of, of new pictures we've never seen before from all the different projects. So uh, awesome. I need to get that going uh, within the next year or so. I, I, I maybe by next summer at the latest. So yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff. It's fun. It's definitely fun to see that. But of course, back in the earlier days, yeah, we didn't have. Uh, cameras weren't as accessible uh, and the things like Star Wars we weren't allowed to take pictures anyway uh, so now now that we do have cameras in our pockets and everywhere the projects are a lot more secretive and they don't want you taking any pictures so so but there are some around though from from the old days definitely <laughs> awesome well we thank you for coming on awesome and thank uh, you so much for having me yeah oh, it was our pleasure uh, definitely brilliant definitely love to, love to have you back again to talk about more of the last Jedi when it's possible more stuff and yeah whatever else i'll be up to as well and and yeah. i wish you every success with with this podcast as well of course and uh oh, it looks like uh looks like uh, you're going from success to success which is really nice um so yeah thank you so much definitely and i'll, I'll hope to see you all again at some point before too long in in person Ho- hopefully <laughs> brilliant so, all right well yeah so so thank you and um ken derek anything else uh no, i think I, we covered pretty good yeah yeah. I just want to say it was great talking to you, Mike. And uh, Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And one last thing, if I may, uh, if anyone <laughs> wants to learn how to puppeteer, they can sign up at uh, secretsofpuppetry.com and get on the list of uh, for, to, to be notified when, when I uh, actually open that up for people. So, awesome. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. I just want people to know about that. But thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, <laughs> on that note, there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation oh. code signal.